once said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. I'm really excited about this episode because it is shaped by a kind of sweet, magical experience I had today in my hometown where I grew up in Massachusetts. I met up with a friend of mine that I've known since I was probably four years old, maybe even longer. And uh, we went to school together. We're very good friends and have stayed friends most of our lives. <laughs> We've gone through some periods of, of not being great friends, but it's just always really sweet to spend time with people, especially these days. I feel very blessed to have a lot of great friends, especially on the East Coast, and also friends that are making it work during COVID because I think some people are really uncomfortable getting together during the pandemic. And I've personally found comfort in outdoor activities with friends, wearing masks, socially or physically distancing. And it just feels really nourishing. I guess the weird part is not being able to hug people. And we did something. Part of the reason we got together... Well, I shouldn't say that wasn't the reason. We got together just to spend time with each other while I'm out here. But we also did something really special that I'm going to talk about at the very end of the show. So stick around because it's related to a brand. And in most of our episodes, we talk about some brands that we love at the end. So if you've never made it through, or if this is your first episode that you're listening to, it's worth listening all the way through, even though our episodes are long. Or if you want to skip to the final 10 minutes and find out what I'm talking about, you could do that too. But before I get to that, and actually before we even had that experience together, we decided to walk around the town that we grew up in. And so I always forget how many people, what the population is here. And so I'll look it up. I also don't usually like to share the name of my town because it's so small. And I feel like it's something I like to keep private. You could probably do some research and find out where I grew up. That's why I'm not mentioning it. But it's a very small town in Massachusetts. Beautiful. The leaves here are outstanding. And it's kind of like a for lack of a better word, like a very sheltered town and very sweet. Like there's not a lot of crime that happens here. It's a very community focused town and just it feels like it did when I was growing up here. So whenever I come here from this big city of Los Angeles, it feels like a big shock. And Jason has been out here a number of times as well. And my friend and I decided to walk around the center of town which is really interesting right now because a it's it's stunning being fall and with all the leaves you know the center of town is just filled with these incredible trees and colors galore of orange and red and yellow and it's just gorgeous and it was a nice warm sunny day and we sat on what's called the common it's a grassy hill area that leads into this small store in the center of that town. There's churches there. There's the fire station. It's kind of like the hub of the town, right? And there's not much going on here. That's pretty much all we have unless you go into the other towns. And we met there. And the one of the store or that main store I described, because I think it's the only store in the town, 
They now have this amazing outdoor seating where you can go and have lunch or brunch, breakfast. I think they do coffee, sandwiches, all sorts of things. And it was just like bustling with all these people there eating outside at these picnic tables. And then they set up like a little table with fresh apple pies and another table with like locally made gifts that you could buy. And it's just so sweet. You know, you feel like you're walking into the set of a charming movie or television show. It actually reminds me of that show Gilmore Girls. So if you're you're looking for like some visual reference beyond what I might put, I took a bunch of photos. So I'll put them in the show notes for you if you want to actually see what my day looked like. So if you visit our website, wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, you can see some pictures that I took. But I want to describe it for you as you're listening. So it's like a little under 60 degrees out, warm, sunny, no wind, just all this beautiful nature around. And my friend and I decided to walk from that center of town just down the street to the high school that we went to. And we're kind of using it as an excuse to be outside and talk to each other. We didn't really have any expectations. We walk up the street to our old high school and we're talking about all these memories as they come up. And we see that the door to the cafeteria is open and the cafeteria is like right near the entrance of the high school. And I said, should we go pop our head in and just like see what it looks like? You know, there's no one around. And so we did. And as we looked inside, we saw the chef that works at the school. And I feel like, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I had brought up the chef briefly before in one episode or so. I'll have to go back and check. I don't know if that rings any memories for you. But he is this remarkable man that really made a huge impression on our school system I don't remember exactly when he came in. I'm sure I could look it up and find out. But I feel like it was around when I was in middle school, seventh or eighth grade, or perhaps high school. And basically, they hired this incredible chef to revamp our lunch program at school. And he basically brought like a gourmet version of food to our cafeterias and transformed the town, made such a big impression that now he also sells soup, like freshly made incredible soup, and you can buy that from him. And I am a little confused about how the program works, but he's just been doing all these incredible things for our town and for some of the other surrounding towns. And it was so magical to see him. And then he let us walk through the high school and there's literally no one in there except me and my friend. And because it's a Sunday, by the way, this Sunday afternoon, And so it's just me and my friend roaming the halls of our high school, which really hasn't changed that much. They put an addition on the school probably 15 years ago or something. And aside from that, though, it's almost exactly the same as it was when we were there. And it was just so fascinating to walk through there with a friend that I went to high school with and talk about all these memories. And I I started to feel really emotional, actually, because some new memories came up for me, some old memories came up, but like to have those memories and be in the place where they happened and just thinking about how my body was responding to different parts of the school. And we had our masks on, but a couple times we took our masks down just to smell it, you know, to have that another sense besides the visual. 
And it was just odd. It was really interesting. I, I think I had moments of feeling like, wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> moments of like being transported back in time. And also like wishing that I could just kind of sit there in the halls and almost like meditate or have a healing experience with myself because I realized that a lot of intense things happen to us throughout our lives that we don't really know how to cope with, especially when we're younger. I feel grateful that I I didn't have any major traumatic experiences that I recall. You know, there's always a chance that we've suppressed something and don't remember it happening. But I feel like because of this sweet little sheltered town that I grew up in, I had a pretty innocent childhood up until I moved to Los Angeles, which was still pretty innocent, all things considered. But I feel like Massachusetts just has a lot of quaint feelings, especially in this town. And yet, as I walked through these halls, I was remembering all these intense experiences, you know, like my high school crushes and how they would feel so heartbreaking or the times that I would lose friendships and feel completely alone and abandoned by these girls that I had trusted or struggled in classes with my grades or with the teachers and just kind of that overwhelming emotion that you go through in high school, middle school, and even elementary school, the younger years of your life. And it just makes me wonder like, how much of that do each of us remember? And how much of that have we not even processed? You know, and then how much of that is so sweet and innocent? And there's part of us that like yearns for those old days that felt so simple and simultaneously feels so grateful that we don't have to go through them anymore when our bodies are changing, our hormones are raging, and it can feel so challenging, I suppose. So it's just kind of interesting nostalgia. And I wasn't prepared for it. So it almost felt really weird to be in there because I didn't have this like schedule of, oh, I'm going to go to my old high school and walk through the halls. It just kind of happened. And then to have a conversation with the chef too about how much things have changed over the years, you know, and what he's seen happen and how he's coping with the pandemic and saying how it's been really rough, even in this pretty privileged town. There's a lot of challenges that these school systems are going through. And and to think of how the kids there, speaking of coping, to think of how it would be to be in high school during a pandemic and not be able to touch your friends because everybody has to stay six plus feet apart and how they always have to wear their masks. They can't really eat in... I think he was trying to describe the changes with lunch and i think they all they all have to like eat outside or it's like very complex i'm not quite sure if the cafeteria is like serving food the same way uh, certainly not the same way but it just seemed to me that it's been really really tough to run a school right now and my heart goes out to people like him who's seen so many changes over the years and then me thinking about how tough high school was in general, but can you imagine like being in high school during a pandemic? Like if you're dating somebody, like what do you even do? You know, like it's awkward enough as it is. 
to be dating someone or have crushes on somebody and have kiss, you know, like your first kiss or you know, physical experiences that you might have in high school. And like, how do you even manage that? How do you hang out with your friends if you can't hug them and you can't really be that close to them? How do you communicate with your teachers? Like, I don't know. It's got to be really, really tough and awkward. And it, I felt really grateful to hear about these experiences, but my heart also broke a lot and just seeing what was going on and how much the town has changed and wondering what things will be like in the future and how much of a ripple effect this is going to have. So there's a lot to discuss here. I suppose, Jason, one of the things that this reminded me of is A, if you wanted to share any of your high school experiences and what this brings up for you. And if you visited your high school... (laughs) since any time recently or since you've been an adult and how much things have changed. But I also was thinking a lot about you in the changes that you're making in your life right now in pivoting from a career as a chef. This chef at our school had such a huge impact, as I said, on the town, on the school system and on me. You know, he was a very memorable person and life is challenging for him. And yet he's continued to be on that path of being a chef. Like he's very committed to that. And I know that you are going through this big transition and I'd love to hear you talk more about it. So there's a lot to explore and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts after I've shared all of this part of my day. It reflects, I guess, to me, feelings that often arise when I go home to visit Detroit. I'm actually at the time of this recording, I'm leaving in two days to see my mom and my family for the first time this year. My mom came to visit last December for the holidays in 2019, but this is the first time I'm going to see her in person. So it's interesting you bring this up because I've been reflecting on going back home and and spending close to two weeks there, which, you know, whenever I'm home, it brings up a lot of mixed emotions. It brings up, I don't know, strange feelings in the sense of like, I go back to Detroit and I often feel like colloquially speaking, I refer to it as home, quote home, but it's not actually home. It's where I grew up. I go back there and it's a bit strange. It's almost like a surreal, strange movie. Not unlike what you're talking about, although I haven't visited my high school. God, I don't even know. 25 years, maybe 1995 was the last time I was there. I actually had a job at the video and film studio at my high school after I graduated. So I graduated in the summer of 95. And then the summer and the fall of that year, I actually managed and took care of the video and film studio. So students would come and they would work on their films, work on their video projects, and I would help them out with the editing equipment. And that was right around the time we got our first nonlinear AVID. Like we were one of the first high schools in the country to get an AVID nonlinear system. People were freaking out about it. But anyway, I haven't been physically back to high school yet in 25 years, but I drive by it all the time because one of the direct routes between my mom's house and the Kroger, (laughs) any East Coast or Midwest beeps, beeps, you know what Kroger is. My mom shops at a Kroger. So when I go with her to go grocery shopping when I'm home, we drive by my high school all the time. So I see it and I remember like, I see the track where I used to run track and run cross country and and the basketball courts outside where I used to practice basketball. And so some of those memories do come back, although I haven't been in the halls, but it's just, it's kind of a weird feeling going home, Whitney. I don't know. It's like a lot of memories come back and, and this trip, I'm, I'm going to see a few old friends that I've known for quite some time. 
but it's always, I don't, I don't, it's hard to describe. It's almost like a dreamlike surreal feeling because I, I don't usually make it home more than if I'm lucky. And this is funny because of course I have complete control over how many flights I want to take and how often I want to go see, but generally I only make it back to Detroit once or twice a year to go visit. And it's just a surreal feeling. It's like, this is where I grew up. I have decades of memories here. I still have family. I still have friends that I've kept in touch with, but it doesn't feel like home and it hasn't felt like home in a long, long time. Uh, so I'll, it's weird. I'll drive by the venues I used to play in with bands years ago. I'll drive by different bars or restaurants and have memories of, you know, old girlfriends or significant things that had happened. So all of those things tend to happen while I'm there. And I'm sure it's going to happen a lot because as an offshoot of this lately, it's interesting you bring up like just reflecting on old memories and things we haven't thought of in, in a long time. For some reason, the past, say, month and a half, two months, I have had memories come into my mind that I haven't thought of in years or even decades, random stuff, random situations of dinners or fights or moments at concerts, moments I played concerts, people I dated briefly that I hadn't thought about in years. There, there's just a random smattering of memories that I'll just be in the middle of my day and I'll start thinking about something I haven't thought of in so long. I don't know why it's happening, but for some reason, I don't know if there's something astrologically or energetically happening. I haven't researched that, but I'm getting a lot of random access memories which is also a Daft Punk album. Great album. But it's, it's interesting you bring this up. I don't know why. I just keep getting all these old memories. And some of them joyful, that make me smile. Some of them bittersweet. Some of them reminding me of traumatic situations I've been in. So I think in general, yeah, going home is going to just bring up a lot more of that for me. A lot more. I'm sure it will. My friend was saying that she often has dreams of being in high school again. And she asked if I did too. And I said, no, <laughs> I was like, gosh, I don't remember the last time I dreamed about being in high school or even college. But I wonder if I will have those dreams after visiting. Do you have dreams of being in high school ever, Jason? I do, but they're very specific. And the specificity of those high school dreams are that I didn't finish and that I'm my age now, a 43-year-old man, and I'm back in high school in this body, in this current state. And somehow they're like, yeah, you actually missed two classes and you got to take them again. That's a recurring dream that I have. I, I have that dream at least a couple of times, maybe a handful of times every year. And I really dislike those dreams. And I know why it happens, because I think symbolically or metaphorically, there's some subconscious sense of incompleteness in my life that I haven't completed something or I haven't seen something through to fruition, if you will. And so I think these high school memories about me not finishing high school and not completing something to fruition is just indicative that there's something in my life I haven't finished yet. And it's kind of haunting me, but it's always the same thing with it's always you didn't finish and you have to go back in your forties and finish high school. It's so weird. Another thing that I'm curious about for you, Jason, is this idea of like wanting things to stay the same, you know, like walking around my high school, I was looking at some of the parts of the building that haven't changed. I'd be like, wow, I remember this, like the floor, you know, in certain parts of the school. I'm like, this was always there. They haven't changed this since I left. And, and then different areas thinking, hmm, was this the same or is this different? I'm not sure. And then like how the classrooms have changed 
And then there are some, even some of the same employees, but besides the chef, people that work in the office, some of the teachers are still there. And I felt so happy about that. You know, it was comforting. And especially being there with that chef who had such a great impression on me and just knowing that he's still there made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. You know what I mean? And it's interesting. Like, I wonder what it is about us that enjoys it when things stay the same. But I also love to see things evolve and change for the better. And that also brings me to you, Jason, you know, you have talked about this a little on the show, but you have talked to me about this privately. And you've been really wanting to make a shift in your life, but sometimes struggle because it seems like people want you to stay the same. They have you in their heads as somebody specific who does a specific thing. And you no longer want to do that specific thing, or perhaps you want to evolve into it. And we haven't really talked about this much offline. So I want to hear about where you're at with that right now, because you recently told me that you had like a specific date that you were hoping to kind of make an announcement perhaps. And I'm curious, like, what is it about this upcoming date? Is that still the case? (laughs) Has that changed? And like, where are you at with this transition? Why do you want to make it? And how are you going to make an announcement if so? Or or do you not even care to make an announcement? Like, I just want to hear more about it and see what you have to say. Maybe this will be part of your announcement if you're ready for it. There's a lot to unpack here. So I suppose I'm just going to try and find a way to jump off from your question. I've teased a little bit about this, Whitney, kind of subversively or subtly in previous episodes. I think if we go all the way back to episode number two, we talked about my kind of creative and and artistic journey through life and becoming a chef and being in the wellness business was not option A. You know, I originally, if we go all the way back to high school, was a student filmmaker and a video maker and got a scholarship to go to Columbia College for those things and was really focusing on being a filmmaker and, and a student video maker and editing and cinematography. And you and I share that actually very similar backstory in the sense that you went to a film school, I went to a film school for very similar reasons. And I realized that I enjoyed being in front of the camera more. So I transitioned into acting and studying theater and improv and and then getting into music. And my deepest loves really being a performer, being an entertainer. And for me, food came out of the idea that I wasn't really making a living. I was living in Los Angeles. I had moved out here in 2005 and I was singing in a band and I was auditioning and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't making any money. And LA was a significant and is a significantly more expensive place to live than Detroit, Michigan. So I was just trying to find a way to to provide for myself. So culinary school was actually plan B for me. It was never plan A. It's not that I didn't love the art of food. It's not that I don't love it anymore. But after 15 years of doing it, I find that I have lost the joy. And it's interesting because I think the context for this is almost like it's a relationship, a relationship with our career, a relationship with our profession, a relationship with our purpose is not dissimilar to a human relationship or any relationship that we have and that there are ebbs and flows. There are times you love it. There are times you grit your teeth and just you do what you got to do. And there are times though, when I think you fall out of love, you fall out of love with a person and there's the possibility you can rekindle that spark, as they say. I believe that's true. 
And I believe it's true also with a profession or a career that you can lose a passion or a joyfulness or a love for something. And, and it can also be re-sparked, rekindled. The flame can be reignited. But over the last three years, really since my book came out and I launched my first online course, I think if I'm honest about it, since 2017, I've just been in this decay, cycle of decay with my culinary career where even when I've had projects or done video content, done courses collaborated with people. The, a lot of the things we've talked about as entrepreneurs or content creators online, I just kept losing my sense of joy, my sense of passion with it. It became rote. It became robotic. At the beginning of this year, I had a couple of really... They, they were cool projects. One project I did with an organization called Switch for Good with our colleague Dotsie Bausch. We had her on the episode previously, or the podcast rather. You can check out her episode in our show notes at wellevator.com. W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. But in these projects, Whitney, that I think years ago I would have been excited about, I was doing them and I was like, why am I not excited? Why am I not feeling a sense of joy in this? Why am I not passionate about this anymore? And I think I've been trying to find the joy in it and try to rekindle a sense of passion and that fire, you know, that spark that like, where can I find it in here? But I have to be honest, my heart's not in it anymore. I feel like there's two things. I feel like there's, as an artist, I don't feel like I have very much left to express publicly with culinary art. I feel like after the TV series and 325 YouTube videos and my own book and a couple other books I've collaborated on, I don't really have anything left in the tank. I don't get excited about creating recipes anymore. I don't get excited about doing YouTube videos anymore. I don't even get excited about live speaking appearances. It's just, it became a robotic rote going through the motions process. And I've talked to other people that we know, friends, and some of my family members about it, Wit, and you and I've talked offline. You know, this is really the first time I'm digging into it publicly, but there's been this other side of it too, where you're like, okay, you've invested a decade and a half of your life into building something, gaining skills, creating a public brand around it, making money, starting an LLC, you know, all the things, the public facing business things around this. And the sentiment from some people was like, well, what are you going to do if you don't do that? And my answer is, I don't know. It's like, well, what do you mean you don't know? It's the middle of a pandemic. And like, how are you going to make money? I don't know. But I do know that when my heart is not connected to something anymore, and I've tried my best to re-spark or rekindle the connection, the passion, the joyfulness, and it's not coming back, it's time to leave. And I think the fear, right, has been, I've invested so much money and time and 15 years into building something where it's almost like the metaphor of scaling the mountain and you get to your proverbial mountaintop, whatever that is for you as a person. And then you start walking down the other side of the mountain, but you don't know what's on the other side of that mountain. And we spend so much time, I spent so much time focusing on just getting to the top of my personal mountain with this, right? Like, just get to the top, dude. We talk about this in the hustle culture and a lot of the potentially dangerous or deleterious effects of goals all the time, goals, goals, goals. But for me, what's not talked about is what happens when you do reach your proverbial mountaintop and you're up there and you're looking around and you're like, Uh, I don't really want to be here anymore. When you descend down the mountain, what's that like, right? We don't really talk about that in our culture. We don't talk about that as artists, as entrepreneurs, as creators of, it's always about the goal. It's get to your mountaintop, you know, crush it, hustle, get famous, make the money, whatever the hell it is. No one talks about what's after that, right? What about when you get there and there's no more passion for it? What about when you get there and there's no more joyfulness for it? 
And I've been had so many carrots dangled with. We've talked about this metaphor of, oh, don't leave yet. Here's a carrot. It's so funny because when I mentioned this this to you a week ago, of course, I got an email and someone's like, hey, I have this new app and you know, here are our income projections and, and here's the money you could make. You could be one of our founding chefs and some of our colleagues are actually involved, Whitney. And so like they're involved and, and it could be a really great revenue stream for you. And I'm like, it seems like every single time I have thought about actually just making a public announcement that I'm moving out of the culinary business and quitting my career as a chef, something will come through the pipeline and be like, are you sure? Because here's some money. Maybe we don't know how much money, but it could be good. It could be. So it's like, I can't deny that my heart doesn't want to do this anymore. It's not that I don't love food. It's not that I don't believe in veganism or plant-based or organic or all the, th- I'm still very passionate about those things. But as a career path, I don't feel like I have anything left to express. So it's frightening because I don't know what's next. I don't know what the next evolution is going to be. And it's stepping into the unknown after doing this for 15 years of my life, right? So as I wrap up this diatribe and explanation, because you asked, you said, why or why not make a public announcement? I feel like if I don't make a public announcement, I'm going to still keep getting these offers of people like, hey, do you want to do this magazine spread? Do you want to be a contributor to this app? Do you want to do this speaking appearance? Do you want to do this food demo? And the honest answer is 99% of those things I have no interest or joy in doing. There might be something like this app is interesting, actually, it is. But it's not enough to make me want to keep going as a chef, right? So why November 1st? November 1st was the day that I graduated culinary school. November 1st was like, this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to be a chef now. So November 1st is 15 years to the day that I started my culinary career. So that's the significance of that. Yeah, it is interesting because I've also been working on my own transition with moving away from eco-vegan gal. And it is tricky because when you're known for something, it's really a long process of redefining yourself But I also feel more and more in life that it doesn't need to be so black and white and cut and dry. I think I'll continue doing work under the name Eco Vegan Gal for a little while and however long it takes. I'm not in a rush. Like there's no reason that I need to like (laughs) discard it. And actually, that makes me wonder what is going on with Matt and Michelle, who used to have the brand Thug Kitchen and how they made the decision to completely change the name to Bad Manners. Is that right, Jason? That's what it's called? Yeah, it's called Bad Manners. We haven't heard from them in a long time. We had kind of a burgeoning friendship with them for a while. You know, we'd go to the arcade, we'd go out to dinners, would hang out with them and Michelle, actually, as an aside, was one of the people who encouraged me to do stand-up comedy years ago. She was one of the people that she's like, you're really fucking funny. You should do it. And then I went to stand-up school and, and decided to kind of go down that road a little bit. But yeah, they made a pretty interesting pivot too. I haven't followed up or actually paid attention since really all of the energy around the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. But it would be interesting to see, like, especially with their podcast and they were supposed to open a restaurant. I don't know. I, I haven't kept up with those guys. I think that's a little bit of a different example because there was a big need for them to rebrand. They had to acknowledge some of the racist undertones of the name Thug Kitchen and pivot entirely. And I think it's really interesting because it may take them a while to no longer be known as Thug Kitchen. And maybe they'll always be referenced as that for just because there was so much there from a brand standpoint. And yet they had to just simply change their name. And I think that they're an interesting example of 
when you have pressure or a specific reason or something's very time sensitive versus me with eco vegan gal. Like I don't have that. Like there's no major reason. I just don't resonate with that name anymore. I don't want to be known as eco vegan gal. I want to be known as Whitney Lortzen. And it's just like a discomfort that I find with being referenced (laughs) as my username. You know, if someone's going to reference my username, I'd rather them say my name. And I've kind of like envied people like you, Jason, who have never had a separate username. You've always just been Jason Robel. And so that's what people call you. And it's like, that just sounds really nice to me. (laughs) But then there's the side of you're not changing your name. You're just changing what you're doing and how, yeah, you probably will be presented with lots of opportunities for many years, Jason. Like So many people think of you as a chef and... They think of you as somebody on platforms like YouTube showing people how to eat and they think of you as like a vegan expert. And, you know, it is going to be interesting to see like what happens when opportunities come up for you. And I mean, you could always change your mind, but I'm curious, like right now, are you going to say no to that app? Are you saying maybe to that app? And then, yeah, what does happen if you say yes to it? Can you make this announcement? Is that really in alignment with where you're at? Like, what happens in those gray areas? And what do you think you'll feel comfortable doing even after you make the announcement? Well, this particular opportunity, it is a bit of a gray area because all they're asking for, instead of new content, what they're asking for is to repurpose the videos I already have on YouTube, right? So sending them the source files, right? The video files where they will re-edit them into clips for the app and then have written recipes, photos of the recipes. So I don't actually have to do any original work. For me, it's a potential additional revenue stream that would just keep generating revenue as I contribute to it, right? So if I send them 100 YouTube videos and they repurpose all of them, then it's almost like as a founding chef, I get a revenue share. So in terms of me doing new content or new recipe development, The reason that this gives me pause is, of course, it's one of those things like, I'm getting ready to make my announcement. I'm getting out of the business and I'm transitioning into, I don't know what. I'm not fully clear on what the next chapter of my life is going to be in terms of my career and my purpose and my creative life. But this thing comes in and it's very low effort. It's not like a minimum viable product. It's not like that, but they want to repurpose existing content that I have the IP for, the intellectual property rights. So all I'd have to do is just send them a shit ton of YouTube videos. They'd repurpose them, write out the written recipes, and then I would you know, get a revenue percentage of how many people download and pay for the app. So it kind of feels like eh, this could potentially be a good, kind of like the deal I had with Food Matters or now that they sold to Gaia TV. One of my original recipe programs I did 10 years ago now, when it came out in the fall of 2010, Simple Vegan Classics, they've had on their streaming platform and I get quarterly checks, right? I don't need to do anything. I can promote it if I want to and make some additional affiliate revenue, but I don't have to. And I just sit back and every quarter of every year, I get I get an income check. I get a revenue share, a share check. So if it's one of those things, it's almost like, why not do it, right? If I just need to upload videos to you guys and you're populating the app with all this content, I just sit back and collect the checks. It kind of feels like that the deal I have with Gaia TV. 
So it is gray, right? Because it's like, well, that seems like a low effort win-win situation, but it continues to perpetuate my brand image as a chef. Oh, here's a big time app with Chad and Derek and Jason and all these well-known vegan chefs. There's Jason again. But it's again, going against this part of my heart and my soul. That's like, dude, you're not in this anymore. And I want to give context to a few spiritual principles, Whitney, that I think are super important that reinforce why it's been difficult for me to ignore this feeling in my heart of like, you don't really have any passion for this anymore. One of the most important books I've ever read in my life, I think I've referenced it here, is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. This was one of the first books as an adult, a young adult that my mom gave me. And I still have the copy of this book my mom gave me when I think I was maybe 14 or 15. And it's one of those books that I go back to over the course of my life, depending on how I've lived, what I've evolved into, the pain, the joy, the life experience I've garnered, that the book hits me in a different way. And I recently, this summer, when I was really thinking about, I think I'm really done with being a chef, there was a passage from this book that I remembered that I hadn't read in a while. And the passage is from the prophet and it's from the chapter on work. And it's very short, but I think it as closely expresses from a very poetic and spiritual sense what I'm feeling. This is what it says. Work is love made visible. And if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work with joy. For if you bake your bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feed but half man's hunger. If you grudge the crushing of the grapes, your grudge distills a poison in the wine. And if you sing though as angels and love not the singing, you muffle man's ears to the voices of the day and the voices of the night. And that just like so eloquently and beautifully sums it up of when you work, but if you work and don't put love and joyfulness and connection into your work, it's not fully you. Like people can feel when you're doing something and there's no love in it. And I don't think that I've been able to put a lot of love into what I've been doing for a while, like I mentioned, right? So when I read that by Gibran, I was like, that's it. He's like, work is love made visible. That's such a beautiful quote. Work is love made visible. Then I've been going back to what do I love really, truly, and how do I make that visible through work? That's such an important question, right? Because I know some people might have a different take on work and career and vocation, but I can't deny that if my heart's not in something and I can't put love into something, it feels completely empty and unfulfilling to me. We talk about money a lot on this podcast. We've had our own discussions about our philosophies and struggles with money and some hierarching philosophies. We've talked to Chris Gillibo and some other people who've shared their philosophies, but it's like you can make all the money, but if your heart's not in it and you're not passionate about what you're doing, it's almost like there's just an emptiness. Even when the success and the money and the fame comes, there's an emptiness in it, right? So I wanted to share that Gibran quote because I think it so wonderfully summarizes what I've been feeling. Like I can't keep doing things without love in them. I'd rather not do something than do it without love. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I And I completely agree. I think that many of us have been taught to believe that, well, life is tough. And if you need to make money, you just have to suck it up and do the work. And I I think it really depends on each individual's circumstances, because there's certainly times in our lives or circumstances that we're in that require us to just suck it up. 
And I think right now, Jason, you're in a period where you don't need to suck it up. I know that money is is a really big factor for you and does shape some of your decisions as it does for many or most of us, right? But I think what you're striving for, which takes a lot of courage, is to find a way to make money doing something that you really love and not settling. And you're not really willing at this point in your life, based on your circumstances, it doesn't require you to do something just to make money from it. And I think that if you have the parameters in your life that allow you to make a choice like this, to follow your heart and do what you love, then I think it's something really worth doing. And each of us have to examine our finances and our circumstances to see like, can I make this decision right now? What do I need to do to make this happen? And I I think it's inspiring. And then some people might yearn for that, but not feel like they can do that. So it's interesting. And like I said, there it's not really that linear. Things change by the day for everybody. There's no certainty. Even if you have a corporate job, there's no guarantee that you will be able to keep it. The business could close. Another <laughs> financial challenge could hit the company or the world or the country or the state. You know, like there's so much that's changing all the time that we don't have any control over. And so none of us really have that much security. And I think being able to adapt and to at least like think about what you would rather be doing or think about your exit plan if you're unhappy or think about like what you would do in case of an emergency is really something that's been in a lot of people's minds recently. And it's interesting because you've been talking about this a lot, Jason. So you know, I'm curious to see where that will go with you. And I think what we've been doing here on the podcast has actually been great because our podcast is not about veganism. Vegan living comes in and out, but it's not the main focus of our podcast. Part of this conversation about the, I guess, the spiritual element of all of this is I was actually recently on a podcast. One thing that Whitney, you and I have been doing is is guesting on other people's podcasts to exchange ideas and talk about our purpose and our mission, not just individually, but with Wellevator, our brand. And I was on the Grateful Goddesses podcast yesterday and kind of talking about this idea that for a long time, I think I've been fighting against part of myself that is really interested in a lot of different things and that I've had a lot of different things I've done for work. I've had a lot of career evolutions and things I've wanted to do, some of which came to fruition and some didn't. And I think I've always had an enviousness of people that chose one thing or seemingly chose one thing and did it fantastically well for the rest of their lives. You bring up Picasso as an example. You know, he seemingly dedicated his entire life to his art. Or more recently, I talked about one of my guitar heroes, Eddie Van Halen, who since age, what, 13 or 14 till he passed away at 65 a few days ago, you know, just ate, breathed and slept a guitar and music and composing. That's just it. And I just don't know that I'm wired that way to pick one thing and stick with it for decades and decades and decades. I think that I've always just envied people who were able to do that. You know, why can't I just find my thing and just stick with it for my entire life? Why do I have to be so, I don't know, seeing it as almost a negative thing, but I think I'm letting go of the idea that that, that's a negative thing. One thing that's been helping me recontextualize is the Japanese concept of finding purpose in life. I first heard about this when I first read uh, The Blue Zones by Dan Buettner. I've referenced The Blue Zones a lot. 
I just love longevity. I love reading about longevity research. And in this book about the the lives of centenarians, people living to the age of 100 healthfully and beyond, Dan Buettner talks about the concept of ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese concept that literally means a reason for being. And there's this really cool graphic we'll upload to our show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. Again, our website is w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com. And this graphic is these four concentric circles that overlap in the center. And basically, ikigai is what you love. There's an intersection of passion and mission. There's what the world needs, which is an intersection of mission and vocation, what you can get paid for, an intersection of profession and vocation, and what you're good at, which is your passion and your profession. And the idea is that if you are too much in one of the four circles and you're not near the center, where the overlap of your passion, your mission, your profession, and vocation, the closer you can get to the center of the overlap of these concepts, that's called ikigai. That's your reason for being, your reason for existing. And I think for me, Whitney, I was talking to Michael, my mentor, we've mentioned him on the podcast before. And I think with the chefing, right, it was very much like what I'm good at, like you're a really good chef, you make good food, what the world needs, the world needs to move away from eating artificial food animal-based foods, factory farmed food, toxic food. What does the world need? Healthier food. What can I get paid for? I can get paid to be a chef. But the top bubble in this Ikigai graphic, what I love, I lost the love and the joy. I go back to that is like, I think the reason that I've been satisfied is I've been so focused, unsatisfied rather, is I've been so focused on, quote, being of service to the world, right? Well, the world needs this. The world, I have a mission. The world needs healthier food and it, it needs to move away from toxic food and the, the factory farming and the overfishing and the, ec- the ecological collapse. Like, I have to do this. But I was so focused on, I guess, the mission for the planet, the mission for the animals, trying to support other people that I was ignoring the fact or compartmentalizing the fact that that top bubble in this ikigai concept, I had lost my joy for it, right? And that's why it's unsustainable for me is it can fulfill being paid for it. I'm good at it. The world needs it. But if I'm not in love with it and I don't have a feeling of delight or satisfaction or joy, ultimately it feels empty. So this ikigai concept, we're, again, I'll link to an explanation of a link to the graphic, but I think, again, Whitney, it wonderfully summarizes that this lack of joyfulness, I can't keep going forward because even if the world needs it, even if I'm paid for it, even if there's a demand for it, if my heart's not in it, it feels empty. For sure. I think that it's just that some people feel like they can't live a life like that. And it's an interesting thing to reflect on because... I think there's a lot of messaging around sucking it up and life is hard. And I don't know if it has to be that way. I don't know if you have to settle. I don't know if you have to compromise. I think it's, again, very, very circumstantial, Jason. And I think that right now, if you are willing and able to leave behind things that don't bring you joy in terms of your work, that's incredible. But we have to remember that not everybody has that. I mean, I'm in a similar boat, of course. Like I've been just traveling around the country (laughs) and people just seem very confused by that a lot of the times because when you work for yourself and you can make your own hours and, and choose when you do what you do and where you do it, it's a great gift. And I don't take that for granted. I don't entirely work for myself. Like I have a lot of different things, different clients. I'm freelancing consulting, coaching, all these different things that I do. 
but I've created that to give myself the flexibility. I, I, for many years, have much preferred to work from home. And I also prefer to choose who I'm working with and what projects I take on. And there's drawbacks to that because I haven't always been able to make it financially stable despite being very educated in this world of entrepreneurship, it's still really challenging for me sometimes. But I would say overall, those challenges are worth it for me because I find the joy and the flexibility. I like the way things are structured. And I also just don't know how long that'll last. And that's why it's important not to take these things for granted or assume that they're easy for everybody. As we've talked about in some other episodes, we've brought up Brendan Burchard a number of times recently. And I think that's because people like him are people that I've look to a lot for advice on how to work for myself and how to make money. And a lot of their advice hasn't worked for me and I don't know why. And there are times that I felt really frustrated by that. But I think those experiences showed me that just because it works for them and a bunch of other people they teach doesn't mean that it'll work for me. And a lot of this stuff is not universal. And I think I used to believe that it was. I think I used to think anybody could work for themselves. Anybody could be an entrepreneur. They just have to want it badly enough. They just have to be courageous and bold. But I don't know if that's true. Some people are either not cut out for it or they don't want it. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't bring them joy. It doesn't feel easy. And it's not always lucrative. It reminds me a little bit of MLMs, multi-level marketing, and how a lot of them promise all of this abundance. And yet, if you look at the numbers and the percentages, most people that enroll in a multi-level marketing company don't make that much money. And so imagine how many of them feel like failures because they're not performing very well. They're struggling and, and they just wonder what they're doing wrong. And that's so relatable to me. So I think work is really interesting because each of us have different paths, different passions, different circumstances, different conditions. And I think we need to have a lot of grace for ourselves and for others and not assume that something that works or doesn't work for us will work or or not work for somebody else. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I realize this is not a one-size-fits-all sort of philosophizing this conversation. Nothing we say is. Nothing is intended certainly with whatever Whitney and I are exploring from our own experience in our own lives or any recommendations we might ever give, whether they be products or courses or reference guides we've created. You know, Nothing that we put out is a one-size-fits-all approach because of the diversity of life experience and where you may live, your genetic situation, your physical condition, your family situation. So I'm, I'm not going to be a Pied Piper to get on my soapbox and say, if you don't have joy for what you're doing, everyone should quit and run toward what they love. It's too simple because if if you have, say, kids at home and you've experienced tremendous downturn economically in your family due to COVID or the shutdown, which many millions and millions of people are across the world, it's not necessarily going to be a sound or wise or compassionate decision to abandon your source of income if you have a family to feed. So what I'm saying is my own personal experience, my own personal pontification as a single man who has animals and a girlfriend and and who has, yes, taken an, an economic hit during COVID, but not to the point of devastation, right? So all of this is to say to piggyback on Whitney, your statement of 
what we dispense as perceived advice or reflection or material or food for thought is never, it's never delivered with like, you ought to do this too. I do think though, there is a point where if you ignore what your heart is telling you, if you ignore what your soul, if you believe in that is trying to express to you, the volume knob, so to speak, gets cranked on it till you can't ignore it anymore. So do I have a plan? I have ideas, right? I have frameworks of what I think I may do next. Does it mean they're going to come to fruition exactly as I've planned? Of course not. There's enough life experience in the coffers here to know that nothing ever goes exactly as envisioned. Sometimes it does, but it's rare in my experience. But I think that there's some part of me that feels like, Whitney, if I don't let go of this thing, it's going to keep anchoring me to it and prevent me from opening the space for something new to come through, if that makes sense. Like if I don't just release it, then it's holding space for new things to enter my field. And that's why I feel this compulsion to make some sort of public announcement of, hey, everyone, I'm done. Thanks for the love. Thanks for 15 years. It's been an amazing 15-year run, but I have to open the space for new things to enter. And maybe on some level, me clinging to it and me continuing to make excuses for holding on to it is preventing those new things from coming in. Actually, as I'm saying it, it makes a lot of sense. So the idea of like making this grandiose public announcement over something like this, on one hand, it's like, does anybody actually care, right? There's that whole thing of, there's the ego part of it of, do we actually need to make announcement like announcements like this of, hey, I'm <laughs> whatever, I'm quitting my career as a chef. Like, do people actually give a shit, A? Or is it more for me selfishly to be like, I need to cut ties with this thing just so everybody knows so don't send me DMs and don't send me emails about stuff. Like, I don't know if any of that makes sense in terms of like, why would I even need to make a public statement? But I think it's about releasing the energy, right? More than anything else, more than like, oh, because I don't really want the comments and the direct messages of like, I'm so sorry to hear this. We're going to miss you. I loved your recipes. I loved your show. Like, I mean, on some level, it's nice to know that I've had an impact, but I don't need that level of like, I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. I have empathy. Good luck on your next chapter. I don't need those messages. I don't want those messages. But it's maybe just, I don't know. I think it is more just to like release and dissipate and create space for newness. Does that make sense about like letting things go so new things can enter? It's almost like a relationship. It's like if you're clinging to an old relationship, you need to fully process the trauma and release it so like a new relationship can find you. It's almost like that to me mentally. Yeah, I think it's a, a boundary thing. It's creating a new container of your life and being clear with people about what you are doing and what you're no longer doing. And I think that clarity really helps others. And also based on my personal experience, it takes a long time. I think I've mentioned this <laughs> maybe once before, but when I moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and then I moved back to LA, it literally took years for people to realize that I had moved back there. And I've noticed this also on my trip, people being confused about where I am and when and when I'm going back. And it, just because you make an announcement on social media doesn't mean that people are going to be like, oh, I get it. He's no longer a chef. I think it's going to take years for you, Jason. And I think you need to be prepared for that because... People just get it in their heads. And then as we know, just because you post something on social media doesn't mean that people actually see it or pay attention to it or understand it. And that's why you have to kind of hit people over the head with things or just communicate to them as it comes. And, it, you know, I think you should be prepared for having to answer this question a lot. Maybe having an email newsletter go out and remind people of it over and over again and have a section on your website and 
might have to take a lot of reminding of people and and then also being prepared for those offers that come to you and what do you say yes or no to and why and what's the ripple effect of it i don't think there's anything wrong with you continuing to do some work in the chef field off and on as a case by case basis but does that make it unclear is that overstepping your boundaries and then setting you back in a way that's the tricky part but i don't think there's a right or wrong to this and that's the good news is that you just kind of flow with it and try it out and experiment. And who knows, maybe you'll find that you do want to continue to do chef work. Like, how are you supposed to know? Maybe you just need a break. Maybe. I don't know. My answer to a lot of things right now, Whitney, is I don't know. And I think that that's the most honest answer to a lot of questions. What's your plan? What's next? What's the next chapter? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Who's going to win game six of the NBA finals tonight? I mean, we'll know when this episode comes out, but I literally do not know. You know, I, I don't know feels like such an authentic answer to so many things, especially in a culture that people feign knowledge and the beholder of knowledge and certainty is celebrated in our culture. But I think the more authentic response to a lot of things in our world right now is, yeah, I don't know. And just being okay with not knowing of what's on the other side of a decision like this, or God knows, I don't know. There could be a point in the future where I fall back in love with it. I don't know. I have no clue. This is only where I'm at now. It's been an evolving conversation, but I also feel like moving toward things, it's also just like an energy thing. You know, when you're connected to something and you feel a joyfulness and a passion and an enthusiasm for something, that's contagious. I don't care what it is. Whatever your profession is, I don't care if you're a lawyer, a doctor, an artist, a singer, you're a crab fisherman, whatever the hell it is. If you are genuinely connected to what you do, it doesn't mean 100% of the time. That's another thing. Like, I need to feel joyful all the time about what I'm doing. Let's get realistic. There are going to be times when you begrudgingly wake up. You're like, I don't feel like doing this. Even if you love it, right? There are going to be moments where you're like, shit, I don't feel like doing this. But I think if the passion and the joy overall stays and the sense of deep connection stays, it powers you through, right? And yeah, you mentioned the beginning of this. Is that realistic for everyone? I would hope so. I would hope that that each human being can somehow find a connection or a joyfulness in what they're doing, their vocation, their purpose in the world. I would hope that that would be a possibility or people would entertain that as a possibility. And also just to loop back with, you know, I realize that I have a distinct sense of privilege that I can even be having this conversation with you, that I don't have a house full of kids and a giant mortgage and a ton of bills and a shocking amount of debt I need to pay. I don't I don't have these things that are like, yeah, you need to keep that job. Not that there's anything wrong with being an insurance agent, whatever, just using as an example. But yeah, you, you, you need to stay hunkered down as an insurance agent, dude. Like you can't leave. I feel blessed and privileged that I have the ability to even entertain this possibility, right? But I just think it goes back to like the more sensitive we are and the more connected we are to our souls and what our souls or our higher self, God, whatever you want to call it, is telling us. There's a point where you just, you can't stop ignoring it. You can't stop, no, 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 no. There's a point you got to just like fucking listen and then choose whether or not you want to do something about it. Well, I think it's exciting. I mean, I'm still confused, Jason, what exactly will happen and what will you be doing? <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, I can talk about pos. Okay, I can talk about possibilities, yeah. right? I mean, what do you want to do? What do you think you'll be doing? Is there something you might be doing in in the meantime? Like, what exactly happens after this announcement on November first? What does that look like to you? What do you plan for? Have you thought about? Do you have like a five year plan or one year nope. plan or? Nope. 
Okay. Like, so the logical next question is, well, what do you do for money and what do you do with your time? Well, we have this podcast that doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon because so far as I can tell you and I are both still enjoying it. We still get a lot of fulfillment from it. And with the feedback we get from you, dear listener and listeners like you, when you send us DMs or reviews, they tend to be overwhelmingly positive and and appreciative. And that keeps us going, right? So obviously the podcast will continue until we don't want to do it anymore at some point. Or if we do want to keep going ad infinitum until we drop dead, who the hell knows? I've been teaching guitar lessons. So music has come back into the fold. I have two clients right now. I have one in Los Angeles and one who lives in Portland that I do virtual lessons to. And people will DM me sometimes. There's a somebody in London who's interested in taking lessons. So did I think that I was going to be a guitar teacher during COVID? Of course not. It just kind of came out of the blue. And all of a sudden, I have two guitar clients and maybe a third. That's bringing in some revenue. There's a possibility with a vegan snack food manufacturer. I can't name them. You know who they are, Whitney. That's It may or may not happen. There's been discussions about a role with them for a creative director, which the momentum and the creative conversations were very exciting. And I shared a lot of really fun ideas. Whether or not it's going to happen, I don't know. But if an opportunity to be a creative director with a vegan food brand or something that I still am, ex- it has to be a sense of excitement and joy for me though, right? So I'm open to interweaving my years of marketing experience. So prior to the 15 years in the culinary world, I was working as a copywriter and a marketing director for advertising agencies and corporations. And that was my corporate life before being a chef. So am I willing to resurrect and kind of combine my experience with marketing, social media, and being a creative director with Because I do love food. Food's exciting. I get excited when we try new products. I get excited going to new restaurants. I just don't want to be a chef anymore, right? I don't want to be a, make us all these recipes. I don't give a shit anymore. Like I don't care about new. I've released hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes. I don't want to do anymore. I'm burnt. I'm done. So the point is, if there was something in the food world that could be radically creative, celebrates my creativity, celebrates my ideas, where I can bring value to something, and I'm finding a sense of joy and freedom in it, I would consider that. So there is a possibility on the table, whether or not it's going to happen or the money's going to be right. I don't know. Does that mean there's going to be a guarantee that I keep getting guitar clients or that something is going to keep evolving in my music career? I don't know. Does that mean that, you know, I can find a marketing opportunity in the food industry, which I think I'm very, very well suited for with my experience as a chef and also my experience with marketing? I think I would crush that with the right opportunity. But the reality is it goes back to uncertainty. I have, I have ideas with Are any of them going to pan out long-term? No idea. No idea. But that's kind of where I'm at now is the music's got momentum and the marketing with culinary brands kind of has some momentum too. I'm not sure where it's all going to lead. Well, I'm curious. And you know, here's the other thing too, is that it's just going to unfold. It's not like one day you're like, here I am. (laughs) Here's the answer. Right. Well, for sake of time, I know we have a cutoff time today with our recording. So I think we should wrap up this conversation because you've answered a lot of the questions and and the rest is yet to be seen. So you'll keep us posted. And I'm looking forward to doing some episodes while you're in Detroit and hearing what that experience is like. So for the listeners, stay tuned for that because we like to record about our personal experiences and where we are, like I shared today. And speaking of which... I can finally reveal the little teaser I had at the beginning, which was that I did a taste test of these really cool craft cocktails that don't have booze. They're technically elixirs. It's a company called Curious. 
And a friend of mine, the one that I got together with today, had asked me if I had any experience with them. And I said, no. And then I got curious about Curious. So I reached out to them and and asked if they'd send me some samples. And they did. And they sent me, I guess, one of each of their flavors. I don't know if they have more. They sent me a box of four. Let's see. Yeah, they have four flavors. And these are incredibly delicious. Like, Jason, do you have you ever heard of this company before? Curious Elixir? I have not. This is all all brand new to me. Oh man, you would love them. They are, as they say, they put as many organic ingredients in them as they can source, which I love that phrasing. <laughs> they don't say the percentage of organic, they do as much as they can. They have no added sugar. They are gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free, fair trade, and non-GMO. They're really, really mindful about their ingredients. Ooh, it looks like they're developing a fourth flavor. But for now, they have four formulations. And they're basically there to be an alternative to alcohol. So you can still enjoy a delicious drink that is handcrafted with incredible ingredients and nothing artificial. And they are a combination of juices, spices, herbs, roots, barks, and botanicals and adaptogens. So they can really help you unwind without the need for alcohol, which is exactly what my friend wanted. And they are absolutely delicious. I cannot stop thinking about them. I'm actually kind of like salivating (laughs) thinking about them. And I'm so glad that I have a little bit left. We had like little tastings of each of the bottles. And they're just really neat. If you go on their website, CuriousElixirs.com, which we will link to in our show notes at Wellevator.com, which again is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, where we'll have all the show notes, the transcript of this episode, links to everything we mention. And on their website, you can read about what they each taste like, which is kind of neat. And they, they'll tell you what they're reminiscent of. So one of them is kind of like a Negroni. One is like a margarita. One is kind of like a French 75 or a cucumber Collins. And one is like an orange like spritz, I suppose. And they just have really cool ingredients like ashwagandha is in one of them, turmeric, ginseng, all sorts of delicious like spices. And they're just really, really great. I was blown away by them. And Jason, I wish that you could try them too. So you might need to get your hands on some, especially for you. You're not that into alcohol, but you do really enjoy beverages. And I think this is great for someone like you. Yeah. I'm. Listen, even if I'm not a regular alcohol drinker, I'm down to taste things. No matter what, I love sampling things. I'm into flavors and textures and aromatic profiles. So I'm known to have a penchant for a fine Japanese whiskey now and again. So depending on what it is, yeah, I'm always down to sample things and have new experiences. So, And as much as I'm hitting the exit button on my chef career, I still think that I will be involved in food and wellness and nutrition because I am, look, I love food. If we think about like my great loves like music, which is probably the thing that stirs my soul the most, if I'm honest about it, comedy's up there, but music's a little bit higher. You know, I love food, I'm passionate about food. So I'm always down to try. And speaking of things, I've been drinking a lot more tea lately, Whitney, because the temperature actually here in LA took a dip this week. It's actually been really nice. It's been sweater weather, sweater weather, which has been great to finally have sweater weather again. So I've been layering up. It's been feeling really good. Been taking the motorcycle out fall. It just feels so good. Anyway, when I get back from a motorcycle ride, what do I like to have? I like to have 
a nice cup of tea. And we have mentioned this brand before. We are both huge fans of Peak Tea. They are instant tea packs, organic, amazing. My favorite combination is the jasmine green tea and the hibiscus. I do a one-to-one, one pack of each, and they are just absolutely phenomenal. They're easy to travel with. I can slip them. Actually, if I'm going out for a motorcycle ride and I need hot water, I can just slip them in the pocket of my motorcycle jacket or in my man bag, my purse, my man purse, as I call it. And I'm actually going to be going home to Detroit, as we mentioned. And I can take some and just get a cup of hot water at the airport and make instant tea there. So they have some wonderful flavors. Again, certified organic, super high quality, and the flavors are dynamite. If you'd like to try some peak tea for yourself, we have a coupon code. The code is Wellevator. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R to get 5% off your order. We will link to that in our show notes for this episode. But I can't say enough about just the quality, the flavor, the aroma of this tea, and the fact that it's so portable, Whitney. Again, like I could take it on the airplane, have a hot tea in my airplane ride, which is like, and I am damn well going to do that too, because I think it's amazing. And it's, and you know what? It's a hell of a lot better than the teas that they offer you on the airplane flight. No disrespect to Lipton, no diss on Lipton, but peak tea is way better than Lipton. Okay. I can second that. And I agree. I love that. I always bring peak tea with me when I travel because it's just so easy to mix into to water, hot or cold. And it's funny, I haven't been in a tea mood lately. I've been so into coffee <laughs> and alcohol, actually. I'm actually curious about trying Curious with some alcohol. I don't know if this is anywhere on their website, but I wonder how many people buy it simply because the combinations of these elixirs are so delicious that they probably are really great with little alcohol. I've been drinking Mezcal recently, which is really delightful. It's very smoky if you're into that. And I'm currently looking on the Curious website to see if they even have any recommendation about adding alcohol, but that probably kind of defeats the point. They do have recommendations for adding in garnishes like lime or orange and salt. And I just love drinks. So I love talking about these drinks. And it makes me want to go have another drink right now, whether it's tea or it's too late for coffee. I always get a little depressed when it's past coffee time or caffeine time. I have a cutoff. (laughs) But now that I've been drinking craft cocktails that I make at home, I now have something else to look forward to. Well, with that, Whitney, we do have a cutoff time because I am going to my aforementioned guitar lesson, which I'm very excited about. My student is progressing amazingly well, and I feel a deep sense of satisfaction actually teaching music. It's interesting. It came out of left field. I didn't expect to become a guitar teacher, but here I am. Life hands you some really wonderful surprises amidst the challenges and the chaos sometimes. So I I do need to go to my guitar lesson, which I do outdoors, socially distanced at a a beautiful park over in Frogtown, one of my favorite parts of town. (laughs) So with that, dear listener, we are going to wrap this episode. There will be many, many more to come. We do three episodes a week. If this is your first time tuning in, we have Mondays and Wednesdays that are quote solo episodes with Whitney and I. And then every single Friday, we have a special guest on to bring you some different perspectives on wellness, mental health, creativity, and just being human in this often crazy and wonderful world. So you can check out again, all of the links to the products, the books, the philosophies of Ikigai, the profit, everything we mentioned in today's episode is on our website, wellevator.com. Again, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Just click on the podcast section and it will take you to the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes in our catalog. And you can find us on social media. If you want to send us a direct message, we are on all the major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. 
And you can shoot us an email directly if you'd like. It's hello at wellevator.com. With that, Whitney, great episode as always. Miss you. And you're going to be back soon, which I'm like, yay. Yay, Whitney's going to be back soon. So yeah, we will catch you soon. I think the next episode you and I are recording with Solo will actually be from Detroit. So uh, yeah, the Detroit Chronicles are coming at you soon, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back soon on This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 